Well, good morning, everybody. Pastor Paul here. It is good to to be back connecting with you all. We, of course, took last week off just to sort of catch our breath. It's been a busy start to the ministry season, but we are now back, obviously, as we continue our journey through the book of Revelation. Um, We are up to Revelation 20. Would anticipate we'd probably spend minimally a week and probably probably about two more weeks um as we as we finish walking through this we're getting to the good part but of course let's get the preliminaries over kermit the frog says hey i don't think you've met him yet if you don't like kermit then i'm not even sure we have any basis of relationship to move forward together from here but anyway we are into revelation 20 and i'm gonna i'm gonna read uh, the first portion of this chapter, then pray, will be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let's pray. So, Lord, we want to come in a posture of humility and submission to your word this morning. And we want to to be in a position to, to receive what we really believe is the encouragement, the hope, and the truth of this passage, Lord. And it's that you win. It's that you are coming back and that you're setting up your eternal kingdom. And that Satan one day will finally be defeated and cast into utter darkness away from the people of God, unable to hurt them anymore. And so, Lord, let us put our hope in that, our hope in in Jesus this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. So the 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 doctrine or the or the issue um, that that really is pressed forward in this chapter is this idea of the millennium. Now, millennium obviously means thousand years, and we see, and there's a mosquito flying around, and it's gonna just really bug me. Anyway. I may just have to take one for the team and get bitten for the sake of the gospel here. But but none the I'm here. The millennium, a thousand years, and and the debate is over what is the nature of this thousand years that Jesus talks about here or that John talks about. We seem to seems to be describing a, a period which um, is ushered in where Jesus is reigning with his saints, with his people on earth for 
a thousand years. Now, now what's interesting about this is that I came from a, a church theological background where this was not that big of a deal. But when I came to Tallahassee and um, Four Oaks used to be a part many years ago, uh, the denomination it was a part of when it, when it was planted as a church, um, this was a really big deal. Um, in the in the statement of faith, in fact, the the statement of faith made a very very. This is obviously no longer the case; hasn't been for many years. But the the, the statement of faith of the denomination made a very clear state that a very clear position that if you that you had to affirm that this was a literal thousand years, and that you had to be you had to commit to a specific sort of eschatological timeline, which, which basically meant this idea of the, that God's people are going to be raptured, that this is going to um, usher in um, a seven-year period of tribulation and trials and uh, the, the mark of the beast, and that at the end of that seven-year period, uh, Jesus would return to set up um, his reign on earth for a thousand years and then he would reign for a thousand years and after that satan would be loosed again for a season to wreak havoc on the church and then jesus would return finally um to honor to or, or finally the final judgment would be ushered in and and the idea was that if you cannot subscribe to that sort of eschatological timeline then clearly you're not taking the bible at its literal meaning meaning it says a thousand years well, then it's got to be a thousand years. And it, it became a real test of orthodoxy. It became a real test of theological conservatism. And, um, and the idea was that if you could not read the plain meaning of the text and say it's a thousand years, then obviously you were a liberal. Um, you did not believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of the word, um, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what's what's... The issue with this, of course, is that when we go back to Revelation chapter 1 and we look at the, what the word apocalypto means or revelation, it means to reveal by symbols, by pictures, by imagery. And as we've seen all throughout the book of Revelation, um, almost all of the time, these numbers that we see are meant to be symbolic. They're meant to paint a picture. They're not meant in apocalyptic literature to be taken as literal numbers. They are they're meant to convey fullness or meaning or death and destruction. And 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 what's what's further interesting is that all throughout the course of church history, um, this passage has been um, interpreted in a variety of ways. Okay. And so so let me just highlight some of the most um, common ways this passage has been interpreted and I, I want to do this quickly because um, we don't have time I mean volumes tomes of ink right have been spilled about these positions but 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 one position is is the one I just described a minute ago Christ will come back he will establish his reign of throne reign of reign on earth for a thousand years and then will usher be ushered in the final judgment and this is a position called premillennialism. In other words, pre um, coming before. So in other words, the millennium happens before the final judgment. Okay. There's another position which is called 
post-millennialism. And this simply means that, um, that the, 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 the reign of Christ here is not meant to be designated as literal, the thousand years, but that things over the course of time are going to get better and better and better. That in other words, as the gospel goes forth into the world, um, more of the, of the kingdom of God is being brought to bear. And so that this reign of Christ is sort of ushered in and that Christ will, um, will be reigning and that at the end of that time will be a final judgment. Okay. So it's post-millennial, meaning um, that the judgment happens prior to the millennium. Okay, I may have said that wrong right there at the end. It means that the millennium happens after the final judgment, post-millennial. And then finally, there's amillennial, which, which basically is probably a little more where I am, which basically says that, the, that this thousand years is not meant to be interpreted literally. It's, it's to... It's to denote that time between the first and second comings of Christ where Jesus has, um, he's defeated sin and death, right? Uh, through the cross and the resurrection. And that between now and the end of time, there will be this progression of good, this progression of evil, as we've seen in the book of Revelation. Um, but that, um, that ultimately the next massive chronological event in the history of the church is going to be that Jesus returns okay and so and so this reign is jesus is now reigning okay now as we see from this chapter satan still has an influence satan still holds sway but he doesn't have the capacity now to deceive the nations like he once did before christ came um there will be a time when satan will be loosed okay to wreak havoc upon the church right before the final judgment um but again, this is this kind of typifies amillennialism. Now, what's interesting about this is that the church has affirmed, when I say church, big church, okay, over the over the last two thousand years, has adopted all of these positions in different varieties and different forms depending on what's happening. So those times where things were really bad in the history of the church and there was a lot of persecution, the church really gravitated toward premillennialism. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set up his reign, set things right. Those times when things have been really good, extraordinarily good, right? And the gospel's been going forth. People have taken more of a post-millennial stance. Hey, we see the gospel coming in force. Things are going to get better and better. Um, the kingdom of God is being ushered in in a real tangible way. And then there's other times when we, the church, is just, is is moving along, but evil's moving along beside it, and people have more adopted an amillennial position, okay? Here, here's, here's, the whole, here's the whole point, though, I think that's, that's important for us, okay? I think it's a big win, all right, for us, if, if I could convince you that none of these positions are standards for orthodoxy. None of them should be used as a litmus test for whether we are faithful to the Bible or not. Um, hopefully you've come to see that, that the church has had a variety of interpretations about these issues over the years. And so because of that, um, I think these are things not to be dogmatic about. Yes, we want to understand them. We want to have convictions about them. Um, but I think the primary point, okay, as the original readers of, of Revelation would have read this, they would have come away with a certainty 
that Satan's time is short. Okay, that that while he has um, a a capacity in this day and age to persecute the church, wreak havoc upon the church. Um, there's martyrs, as we've seen in the life of the church. There's persecution. That Satan's role is not decisive. There is going to be a day when um, that that Satan's influence is no more. He will be cast into the outer darkness. He will be bound. And of course, this was secured once and for all at the cross, right? We don't see the, the, the final fulfillment of this yet, but we can move forward in certainty, okay, knowing that the ultimate victory for the Christian has been achieved, that 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 sin has been conquered, that that our standing in righteousness in Christ is secured, it is final, nothing can change it, even as we are struggling in this world of brokenness and sin. And so, so I think they would have read this and they would have been immensely encouraged. And so I would simply say, when, when we spend more time debating the millennial positions and eschatological timelines and using those as litmus tests to say, well, you're being faithful to scripture and you're not, um, I think we've missed the point, right? I think we have to hold these things loosely in an, in an open palm and say, what, what can we affirm with absolute certainty from a passage like this? And it's that Jesus is king. He is Lord. His reign has already come through the cross and the resurrection. Um, that's called the already. But there's also an aspect of Jesus's reign, which is not yet, which is coming in the future, which will be ultimately fulfilled one day. And because of that, we can have a certain hope right now. So, so hopefully that, that's not too terribly confusing. Um, there's some resources we can recommend to you. There's a book by, I think it's by Klaus. It's called The Four Views of the Millennium. And it outlines all the different eschatological views uh, about this thousand years, what it means. It has the authors interacting with one another. It's a, it's a really good book if you want to delve more deeply into it. But otherwise, what we're going to see tomorrow is um, a picture of the final judgment and what's happening for God's people, what's happening for Satan, um, which is all built upon the sure and certain victory that Jesus has achieved for us um, through the cross and his resurrection. Let me pray. Lord, these things can be a little hard to understand, um, but Lord, help us to gravitate towards the things that are most clear and most certain and that are meant to give us hope. And Lord, that is you are coming back and you are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords of the universe, and you are reigning in your power and glory and majesty. And we give you honor and praise and help us to trust in you today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, great to be back. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Same time, same